Hello and welcome to another edition of the CM Missions Cast. I'm your host, Clifton Gadboys. Today I have another great interview to share with you from a CMM missionary. Now, if you aren't familiar with CMM, you can go to cmm.world and read all about the things that we're doing to fulfill the Great Commission and to help prepare the Bride of Christ for His return. And also, if you didn't know, CMM has an accredited College of Theology, and if you want to learn more about that, you can go to cmmtheology.org. So if you've listened to any of the previous episodes, you know what to expect. But for the benefit of those who may be listening for the first time, I want to briefly let you know what the podcast is all about. The CM Missions Cast is an effort to share the testimonies of CMM missionaries, especially those whose story you might not otherwise hear about. Often when we think of missionaries, we expect to hear numbers of souls won to Christ and things like water wells and other building projects, and those certainly do have their place to be shared. But the focus of these interviews is to not only fulfill Paul's admonition in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 to recognize those who labor among you, but is really also one way that we are following what Jesus said in Matthew 9.38 to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workmen into the harvest. By focusing on the personal testimony of the CMM missionaries interviewed, it is our prayer that through their sharing, the Lord will speak to you about your own particular calling. So last time I interviewed Gustavo, who is a CMM missionary in Ecuador. Today I'm going to be sharing an interview I did with Ruth, who is a CMM missionary in Italy. And I began the interview by asking Ruth to share a little bit about herself. I was born in Rome, and I was raised in a Catholic family because my father was a devout uh, Catholic. But my mother uh, is a Jewish <laughs> descendant and um, not religious, not orthodox. Uh, and I discovered my Jewish ancestry when I was a teenager at 12 years old, and it was quite a shock, actually. And um, I think this duplicity in my life uh, impacted me a lot. And I, I mean, I was very much attracted to Jesus since my childhood. I committed actually my life to Jesus. And I said, I prayed that I wanted to dedicate my whole life and become a missionary when I was 10 years old. And I got converted. I mean, received Jesus in my life, um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and everything through some American missionaries that came to Italy back in 1974. They were part of the um, Jesus movement. And uh, I was 14 years and a half when I uh, dedicated, consecrated my life to Jesus. And of course, I kept living with my parents and study until I was of age. I became of age. And then I joined this group and also went for uh, seven years. When I was 22, I left Italy and I spent seven years on the mission field. I stayed for um, four years in South America and three years in, in the Philippines. And this helped me a lot to grow and to understand and to live by faith. And uh, I made so many experiences, some, some of them not so, not so positive, but uh, still this, you know, made me and formed form me and my, you know, my also spiritual background. So with an opening like that, I went ahead and asked Ruth to expand upon the story of how she met the Lord and how the Lord called her into ministry. Well, um, my father wanted me to become a nun, a Catholic nun, of course. So he instilled in me his faith 
But when I went to the Catholic Church, I loved the gospel. I mean, I grabbed every piece of paper that was the word of God. I didn't have a Bible, of course. I've always been a very, uh, you know, eager reader. When I was a child, I read everything I came, I came, that came in my hands. So uh, I loved the Bible. I loved the gospel. I loved Jesus since, you know, I could feel him. I could feel his presence. And since I was a very introverted child and um, also I, I realized later in my life that I also had a, a prophetic anointing, a prophetic gifting, so I could sense spirits, and but I didn't understand what it was. I was scared sometimes, and I knew Jesus was a, my safe place. I felt his love. I felt his care, and I also had a heart for uh, suffering people. Uh, when I committed my life to Jesus when I was 10, my father brought me to a Catholic, um, not safe house, I mean, uh, institute where uh, very sick people were staying. And I was almost traumatized, I must say, uh, because I saw very uh, people suffering a lot with also people deformed and, you know, hard stuff for a young girl. But this suffering uh, made me even more convinced that I wanted to do something about it. So I said, okay, Jesus, I love you. I want, I don't want to be a nun <laughs> because I didn't like Catholic church, but I say, I want to serve you. I want to give my life for you. And I renewed my vows, my vow to him when I was 12. After watching a movie, I saw the movie Brother, Son, Sister Moon, uh, Zephyr, the story of St. Francis of Assis. I was so moved by the movie that I said again, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to do something for you. I want to give my life to you. But I didn't know how because I, I didn't like the Catholic Church. So at 13 years, I dropped out church completely. And I was in rebellion against God for, for a year and a half, because I said, but what I read in your word is not what I see around me. So where are you? What is true? What is, what is really, you know, I felt confused. I felt, uh, you know, uh, frustrated, mm, disillusioned. It was, it was a, a very hard time. Uh, and then it was another movie <laughs> that, that, touched me again. I went with a group of friends. They, I proclaimed to be an atheist at the time. And these friends of mine brought me to see uh, Jesus Christ Superstar that obviously is made by Jewish people and it's not, it doesn't see Jesus as a, as a savior. But at the end of the movie, when Jesus doesn't rise again, uh, so, sorry, doesn't rise from, from the dead, I was disappointed and I kept saying, but Jesus, you know, uh, <laughs> resurrected. So wh where is it? Where, how come they didn't say that he, he, he rose again from, from the dead? So uh, something was stirred in my spirit. My friends were, you know, joking at me. But I, how, what, what are you talking about? You're an atheist. So, but I, so a deep sadness came inside, came inside of me. And I said, okay, I, I, I want, you know, where are you? <laughs> and after a few months, just I think a couple of months, I met these missionaries and it was like I felt at home. I say, okay, here I am. That's what I'm going to, to do. 
And I, I, felt, I met a lot of persecution because when I told my father what I had decided to do, my father was a lawyer and he had other expectations from me. And then he said, okay, if they're not Catholic, then you are an heretic. And, but I read the Bible for the first time at 14, year, 14 years old. Uh, in four months, I read the whole Bible. And I started, I memorized many chapters, parts of them. And I was, you know, uh, my father started reading the Bible again after I, <laughs> he saw how much I knew <laughs> compared to him. So when I left home, of course, I dropped out also my studies and I was a, a, a disappointment for my whole family. And but I say I must follow Jesus. You know, I didn't know what what I had to, uh, you know, what I was going into. But I knew that he, he would never leave me nor forsake me. He would never disappointed me. And I can attest this after so many years. I've many times disappointed him, but he never disappointed me. Well, my mother was uh, very, you know, contrary to religion. <laughs> All, you know, she's a very intellectual lady. She's still alive. My father departed uh, 16 years ago. My father is, my mother is 93 and she <laughs> As a good Jew, she's very much alive and and bouncing, and she didn't like it at all. But most of all, she didn't like my dropping my studies, my leaving a potential career. I was considered a very uh, very smart young lady, so they had high expectations for me, and my mother was very hurt and disappointed too. I then asked Ruth to share with me the story of how she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The first time I received it uh, a little bit after my uh, receiving Jesus, you know, but then uh, since in this group, there were people that for me were mimicking the, you know, the gift of tongues. I think I resisted a little bit, you know, and in fact, uh, I started speaking in tongues after many years later. But I think I was the one who put a stop to a few things. I really didn't understand well how uh, the spirit, because in this group where I was, there were many solid, good teachings, but some teachings were definitely wrong. But I understood it. After, you know, I had no experience, so I just trusted my leaders, my pastors, and whenever the Holy Spirit told me something that was, con because I read the Bible very much, I studied it, so I went to them with, listen, but here is written so and so, but I was just a young little girl, so they say, no, no, this is not like this, it's like this, 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 and so I think I got misled on a few things, and that's why my, I think my completely... Uh, so then I renewed my baptism of the Holy Spirit after a few years. I then asked Ruth to share how God had prepared her to answer the calling that he'd given her. I learned uh, since my early years that uh, the world was not my home. You know, I never regretted leaving the world and is, you know, <laughs> is anything pertaining to the world except reaching the world for Jesus, you know, I didn't care 
about it. Later on, I took um, a proficiency, I mean, uh, you know, uh, a diploma, but by myself. I started on my own and then got a diploma to be a translator and, you know, to use the English because I loved English since my <laughs> even early age. And I started, uh, you know, reading and writing. And these have been uh, some of my passions, reading and writing. So, um, but not for to be a professional every now and then, like the apostle Paul, I made tents, you know, to <laughs> support myself, but uh, basically, you know, the world has never been an issue for me. And also, I started living by faith, even for my financial support, for everything. You know, I experienced many healings uh, on my in my life, personal life, and in the life of others, miracles. And, you know, I mean, I've been always so uh, thrilled and excited to live uh, God's life that for me, the world was never an issue. And I think this was also mainly from the upbringing and uh, the spiritual upbringing that I had since the, my early start. I then asked Ruth to share some of her early experiences in the mission field. Well, I was very young and inexperienced because when I left, I was only 22. And practically when I uh, joined this uh, this missionary group. I I didn't have any even life experience. I never even had a boyfriend before. So uh, speaking about life, I was very inexperienced. So, but I loved you know knowing new places, having new challenges, experiences. So uh, I must say that when I left, the the decision to go to uh, Venezuela in South America was more dictated by the other people in this group that decided where to go. And I just followed. I've always been, uh, until recent times, <laughs> uh, after being ordained by CMM, I, I've always been a follower. You know, I never cared about uh, leading anything. I just wanted to follow Jesus wherever he led. So for me, it was easy to follow. And um, so I didn't ever say, let's say, in the mission field. I just followed. And um, and I must say that uh, also the group that I was with was not, um, I mean, was a group that left the former group. So, you know, also these kind of things that are not so, uh, sometimes are, have positive aspects and also negative ones. So uh, I must say we were all a bit inexperienced. We were all Italians and we didn't know even the Spanish language. We went there. Uh, thankfully, for me, it's easy to grasp languages. So I learned it in a few months. But, you know, and most of all, we didn't know uh, anything about the culture. That was back in the early 80s. So uh, um, there was a lot of witchcraft there that we were not aware of. And we had a few uh, bad experiences with that. So it was very good under certain aspects because it formed me. You know, I, I, I learned also how to survive with very little food, with very difficult uh, living conditions that in Italy, of course, were, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, unthinkable of. And this formed me because I learned to uh, be very uh, adaptable. 
I'm 61 now and I still can, you know, easily sleep on the floor. I mean, I have no problem adjusting myself to difficulties. And this, I think, for a missionary and for a Christian, actually, uh, should be a must, according to me, because we have to learn uh, to be uh, ready to give up to everything at any given moment if the Lord, I mean, if our Father asks us to do so. So it was um, very helpful under this aspect. I also worked a lot with children. This really helped me to have a heart of compassion for many difficult situations. And also it helped me not to judge as Jesus told us not to judge, because I believe, according to the word, that we are called to judge, meaning evaluating. I mean, we have to be able, as First Corinthians uh, to uh, teaches us that the spiritual man must uh, can judge a very any situation. You know, it doesn't mean that it has to condemn it. So I had to learn this also in my in my uh, in my walk with him, uh, and it was not an easy task for me because as a good Jew, I was very <laughs> prone to criticism and. Uh, judgment, you know, things must be this way, and that's it. So it helped me to become more uh, soft and, and, you know, to grow up also as a mature and adult person. And when I left to, with the, uh, to go to the Philippines was partly my choice. Uh, and I must say that my experience in the Philippines was a lot better because I I really came to love, deeply love the people. With uh, Venezuelan, it was not so, I must confess. You know, I love them, but not so much. I mean, I never came to really get into the, uh, I mean, I don't know why. <laughs> My experience was this, I must admit it. So in the Philippines, I really felt a deep connection with the Filipino people, probably because they are very humble. And I love humble people. When people are a little bit arrogant or cocky, I don't like them so much. <laughs> and South American people can be this way a little bit. And so in the Philippines, I had other kind of, uh, uh, our mission was uh, more involved with helping um, people in the in prisons and uh, or in the refugee camps. Um, so I made a different kind of experiences that helped me a lot also. And I came to love these people. I still love them a lot. <laughs> and I never went back to the Philippines once I came back in nine, I was back in 1989. And after that, I, I just traveled occasionally, but not, I never lived in a mission field again. I then asked Ruth to share how the Lord began to use her in her home country of Italy and how her experiences on the mission field helped her now that she was back home. When I came back, uh, one of my deepest desire to reach my own people, uh, the Italian people, was to, uh, to give them spiritual food nourishment because i realized i've been i had been for 7 years in third world countries but actually those countries could be poor uh, um, in connection with material wealth but as far as spiritual wealth 
and uh, also like Christian books, Christian music of good, you know, solid food quality. They were a lot richer than the Italian people, uh, probably because we had the Pope or Catholic Church that, you know, this religious spirit that we we withhold so much from the hungry souls. So I was determined to do something using my talent of uh, as a translator. And so together with another sisters from this group, um, that after a while we practically left the group because where there were a few things that were not so good. And um, we decided to start it was three of us, three sisters from this former group, and we decided to start uh, an Italian Christian publisher. And it was a few years later anyway, because the first years were a little bit uh, difficult to adjust back. It took me actually almost three years to get adjusted to to Italy. I wanted to go back to the mission field all every day. You know, it was a, really a struggle for me. Uh, but I had um, a young son that was, you know, he needed to start having school. And so I decided to, you know, to just settle down and adjust to the, to the Western lifestyle again. So, um, uh, we founded the the publishing company. Its name was Anastasis. I say was because we had to close it down in two in twenty seventeen uh, due to the economic, uh, you know, to lack of resources and other problems. You know, we had to terminate our publisher, uh, but we started in nineteen ninety eight. So, and it was a supernatural start, I must say, because we didn't have a cent. <laughs> and we asked the Lord to open up doors for us. Uh, and we wrote to many different uh, Christian authors, American, English, or anyway, English writers, that um, whose books had so blessed and, you know, empowered our walk with the Lord. And, but we asked for uh, help asking, please, could you grant us your rights or your royalties free so we can start, you know? And, and the only one who gave us his rights for free was Rick Joyner. (laughs) So we became his publishers for Italy. And as soon as we started talking about warfare, (laughs) we received so much persecution from our own brothers and sisters of the Italian evangelical denominations. And so we spent the next 10, 12 years struggling all the time, struggling financially, struggling with the churches, struggling with, you know, uh, rejection from other Christians. And because we were women, (laughs) because we were, uh, you know, publishing odd books about prophetic stuff. Uh, and so, uh, if you want to talk about spiritual warfare, I could write a book about. It. 
<laughs> so this is um, was our main ministry, you know, not recognized and acknowledged by anybody, you know, uh, but uh, we felt the, this was our call for a long time for our own nation. And, uh, and then back in um, 2012, also one of the sisters, but especially myself, I felt a real call to come to this island, Sardinia, to start a ministry, you know, to start some. I didn't know what. I just knew. I, I love this island. Probably I'm fond of islands. <laughs> I love this island. Since my, you know, my first time I set foot on on the on Sardinia, it was back in 1980, just before leaving for the mission field. And I said to myself and to the Lord, I will come back here and I will live here someday. And that's when it happened. So <laughs> it took a few years, but and but when we arrived, we still had the um, publishing. Uh, company, uh, we started having a little uh, shop, Christian shop with books, items that we made, and but we had to close it down after a year and a half. And and then I said, okay, Lord, here I am. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> and he, he led my, you know, my steps little by little uh, until I, I'm back in 20, uh, 2018. I went to America for the first time and I, you know, I went to Morningstar and uh, George was still there with the ministry and the Lord made this connection. And I was there for just a time of, you know, uh, I was looking for directions. So uh, somebody paid for my trip and uh, told me, you know, you have to go there. And so I obeyed and I said, Lord, you're leading me there. I'll go there. And actually, that's where the Lord started the ministry I'm carrying out now in on the island. And it's an amazing adventure again. <laughs> so I then asked Ruth to share what the Lord has her doing right now. The first, um, uh, let's say, hint that the Lord gave me was a prophetic word that somebody received. But then the Lord uh, enlarged this prophetic word to directly to me was that the, the Sardinia was going to be a place of refuge. Uh, and I say, okay, Lord, but a refuge for whom and for what? And, you know, what do you expect me to do for the, for this vision? And he showed me that uh, this is a place of healing, spiritual healing, physical healing. Exactly. I don't know if you're familiar with the Island, but Sardinia <clears throat> is one of the biggest Island in the whole Mediterranean area. And it has uh, really uh, things that you can, you can find anywhere else in the Mediterranean uh, places, countries. For example, if a plant, you plant, uh, let's say, uh, cucumber in Italy or elsewhere in the Mediterranean, in Sardinia, you plant the same seeds of cucumber. And the cucumbers that grow here are seven times more uh, containing more, uh, you know, qualities and, uh, you know, effectiveness and vitamins, whatever, than the other seeds planted everywhere else. So this is just one of the characteristics <laughs> uh, of this land. And 
it doesn't have many inhabitants. So I think this is also a very important, uh, not many people live here. So this is very good in a way. But more and more people are coming from all over Italy and Europe to start living here. And this is something very unusual for the island because people used to leave the island to go live elsewhere. And I think this is already a result of the prayers and vision that the Lord has given because we have a prayer ministry. We go, it's not just an intercessory ministry. We go in places and pray, decree uh, what the Lord has already revealed to us in the spirit, you know, because I had this training uh, back in uh, 2003 with Nita Johnson. She has a, she's a, she has an, an intercessory ministry in, in the States and she came for a visit in Italy back then. And uh, she just called us to accompany her in this kind of missions. So I learned from her how to pray in places, how to feel the, uh, you know, the spirits, of course, we we don't fight against principalities and powers. We just claim, cleanse, uh, you know, reclaim, cleanse and conquer the land back and bring it back to under uh, God's dominion and order. And, and it's amazing what is happening every time we go out. Uh, we have, you know, signs, uh, definite signs that what we prayed for is is you know is bearing fruit so this is part of the ministry and of course i you know my my heart mainly is to train people uh train uh, brothers and sisters to you know to really uh get to know more you know get in deeper intimacy deeper uh not knowledge you know the knowledge of the head but knowledge deep knowledge of who they are in Christ what's their destiny in Christ and what they have what they're called to do and then release them you know in their ministry but now we've formed a little family that is growing day by day because now that news spread <laughs> People from other churches are dropping out from the churches and asking us to, you know, what are you doing? We would like to learn from you. We would like to do what you're doing. And uh, we work in houses. We, we don't have, we, uh, I'm, I'm not against buildings, but, you know, <laughs> I think they must be functional to people and not vice versa. So uh, we can meet anywhere. If we're many people, we'll maybe rent a place or, but uh, we have to grow as both uh, family and ecclesia. So as a, as a, you know, one body, one mind, one heart, but then we have to take dominion because that's what the, you know, the first mandate for <laughs> mankind to take dominion of, you know, what the Lord had entrusted to us. So, and Jesus bought back to us. I then asked Ruth to share some of the ways that God has moved supernaturally, both in her personal life and through her ministry. So I can maybe share the first thing that is a spiritual healing and deliverance that I experienced on myself. When I was a young kid, I think the devil had meant to destroy me since my early years, because once I found him in my room, I didn't know it was him. I found out later. 
with a kind of a sword or or big knife, any man to kill me. I knew that. So um, I, you know, face to face encounter with him when I didn't even know it was him. And then uh, I had spiritual oppressions, demons that I got, I think, from my father. My father was a bipolar uh, person with very violent. I was abused by my father with violence. He beated me very hard for many, many years, many, many times. And um, I am the middle of three uh, children. Three, uh, uh, we are two ladies and one one brother. And I was the middle one. And my father usually, usually you know, I was the hardest one, the, the one who was hardest hit. So once I asked him, Papa, why do you always beat me and not the others? And he said, I do it with you because you can handle it. You can sustain it. But I think that I got his demons too. (laughs) I mean, I got his oppression too. And uh, twice, once when I was 10, think about it. It was the same years that I committed my life to Jesus. I tried to kill myself. I didn't know why once with the knife and once I was going to jump from a window and every time the Lord stopped my hand, I didn't know it was, I didn't realize it was the Lord. I just knew I couldn't push through. But then I said, okay, how is it possible? Why do I want to kill myself? I didn't even know why. I realized then, of course. And um, so when I got saved, I had a partial delivery, deliverance, uh, because I had a manifestation and I told this, you know, this missionary, look, what's happening to me? It never happened before. Uh, Especially when I was reading the Bible, my legs got paralyzed and I couldn't read anymore. So I got delivered then. But then I had other oppression in my, especially in my emotions uh, and that I had, I mean, I had these manifestations also when I was a little girl and the doctor said that I was hysterical, you know, that whenever I was under pressure, I got this hysterical crisis and I started beating myself, destroying things. But of course, this was not... (laughs) any <laughs> hysterical crisis. I, w- I was under demonic oppression. So uh, when I got saved, of course, this was not in my spirit, it was in my soul. I, the demons started, you know, laying down and kind of uh, go uh, underground, let's say, if we can say, use this, this word. And um, they didn't manifest anymore. So I thought that, you know, I was just okay. Then I had a couple of manifestations. And once it happened when my son was just six months old and I was in the room with him and I practically almost destroyed the room. And I got scared after that. I I went to the pastor of this, uh, this group and he he didn't deliver me. I, I said, listen, I have a problem. I understand something is wrong with me, but I, I didn't realize, you know, I, did, I, I didn't even also all the knowledge, spiritual knowledge, but I never understood why probably they didn't know 
either they didn't deliver me you know so actually i delivered myself <laughs> from this oppressed demonic oppression when i was in the philippines <laughs> a few years later because i realized this was demonic oppression so i just prayed over myself and got delivered and it never happened again so this was <laughs> uh, a very important spiritual healing and since then i also had received uh, an anointing or uh, you know an understanding of where, when demonic uh, people are under this demonic oppression or obsession or possession <laughs> because right. there is a difference yeah well in the philippines um i must say that um, i didn't meet so much uh witchcraft i mean it was very different filipino people are very different maybe uh of course there is a lot of um uh you know not good activity <laughs> there's a lot of prost- uh, you know young children young ladies prostitution and sex tra- trafficking at the time not so much but it was very in the open you know sometimes children 10 years old came you know to me because i was a white lady so for them i was a rich lady and they came to see me mom you want to have sex just 10 dollars you know children like 10 years old and he was there in the open in the street so it was heartbreaking and um well as far as supernatural experience i i experienced i was there when mark uh the um, marcus the dictator that was you know i actually was received by the first lady the second day that i was in the philippines <laughs> because i used to sing and play guitar at the time <laughs> and um so i went to the since i was there i was with another sister from from um from the venezuela uh, we went to an italian restaurant because we didn't know you know we wanted to ask a few informations about the country and we went to this italian restaurant and the first lady was there so i asked the the owner of the restaurant could i sing a song for <laughs> for the first lady and he said okay let me ask say tell her i'm an italian so uh, the owner went there asked the first lady and she asked me to join the table she was with with a lot of ministers and you know people of from the government i didn't even know and she let me sit there and uh, sing a couple of songs she joined with me singing because she was very fond of singing <laughs> and then she instructed me to speak to one of these minister because i told her i'm a mi- missionary i'm here because i want to stay in this country and be of any help so she introduced introduced me to a minister the justice minister i think he was and he gave me the visa an extended visa as a missionary after two days <laughs> so this was the first miracle i experienced in the philippines <laughs> and we saw many women uh in prison that we had a um, a ministry there we went there every week uh, to share the word of god and we saw a lot of you know people uh, ladies uh healed because some of them had killed the husband or a father or somebody and and there were many many broken lives so we saw 
you know, a lot of, uh, of salvations, of course, but also healings from uh, terrible pasts and experiences. So it was mainly there. It was mainly um, a ministry of, you know, helping inner healing for a lot of people, especially women. And um, so I don't know. <laughs> I can't, I'm trying to think. A lot of miracles of supply because there, you know, poverty was rampant. So we had a lot of uh, miracles. Ah, we had a, a miracle of uh, also on an airplane because we were flying and there was a typhoon, terrible typhoon. And uh, the airplane was r- turning around and around and around. It was running out of gasoline. So we started praying and, you know, asking the Lord for a miracle because the, the pilot say, listen, I don't know what to do any longer. Either we land with a typhoon or and we might crash. I don't know, but we don't we no longer have the gasoline to go back. So we prayed and uh, the typhoon stopped. I mean, we, we could land with no problem. And it was a, an amazing <laughs> landing. Uh, uh, so yes, we had uh, you know many things happen <laughs> of this kind, but not mu- not so much uh, spiritual warfare there, really. I-, I didn't experience it at at least. I then asked Ruth to share some of the times that she did experience spiritual warfare and how the Lord got her through. That's really my prayer to to help others to understand that the spiritual world is so real, and 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 we are daily confronted you know with uh, spiritual warfare of course we don't have to see demons everywhere although they are everywhere but we are you know we are more than conquerors in jesus so we don't have to fear anything but we don't have to be ignorant of his uh, you know devices and that's what the the word of god warns us about we don't have to be like uh, naive I've been naive when I was in Venezuela, for example, uh, some witches, their witchcraft is very common. These witches were 20 years old. You know, they were so young and apparently very nice and vulnerable. And, you know, and we Christians are prone to help. We were there to help, you know. So, oh, poor little ladies, you know, you're so. So whenever there was something odd happening you know, and you started saying, I started saying, okay, oh, what's going on here? This is not right. This is something, you know, they gave some kind of nice, uh, you know, uh, good explanations that made, made you feel like, oh, poor lady, I have to, you know, I have to understand, I have to help, I have to uh, comfort, I have to encourage. And meanwhile, under our nose, they were doing horrible stuff. So when I finally realized what was going on, I started taking, you know, position very, they change, when you take position with the enemy, he manifests for who he really is. Even if it's under the appearance of a young, tender, vulnerable uh, lady, or uh, sometimes even children, I saw it in children, you know, children, of course, that are consecrated maybe by their parents and you don't know. And can you imagine that a child can be, you know, can be under demonic uh, control? 
I, I face this kind of situations too. So you really have to be uh, have a clear understanding of what you're facing. And of course, you don't condemn the person, but you take authority over the spirit and he doesn't have, he cannot touch you. He cannot do his dirty work under your watch. And that's what I've learned. You know, uh, there have been many experiences. I've seen the same ladies that I'm talking to you about, beautiful ladies, that when I expose them, their faces totally deformed. And they assume the 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 features of the demons that they had. And it was scaring in a way, you know, but then after their, you know, the, the demon was, you know, either, uh, but this, for example, this kind of witches, I didn't, I never prayed for them to be delivered because they didn't want it, you know? So you cannot pray and deliver people who you don't, you know, they don't want to be delivered. You know, uh, here in Sardinia, for example, I had the lady, I lived somewhere else uh, a few years ago. I just moved to a new place two years ago. And the lady living on my, uh, in the upper apartment, she had demons. I knew because they manifested. Sometimes they came in my apartment to, you know, try to give trouble. But, you know, they never bothered me more than, you know, just a little nuisance every now and then. And this lady every now and then came knocking at my door, asking me, are you an exorcist? She's a Catholic lady. Could you please deliver me? And I said, no, I won't deliver you. And she said, why? Why you're so, you know, you're not a good Christian. I said, no. Are you willing to do this, 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 this? And she said, no, I can't do this. Okay, I can't deliver you. So (laughs) this kind of stuff. (laughs) So it's, uh, you know, you know, there are so many, so many experiences, so many different kinds of, um, and of course, I grew up sometimes after also hard knocks, because in Venezuela, I passed through the fire in a way, for all the witchcraft that I didn't know anything about at the time. So I got a few fast courses, reading books. I read all the books of Anna Mendes and uh, I read also John Ramirez lately. I mean, all these people coming from the occult that are explaining also and giving a lot of keys on how to, uh, you know, when you're faced with this kind of situations, how you have to move. And, you know, so, but I'm still in training. <laughs> there are so many things more. It's more than what I have to learn than what I've learned so far. So, <laughs> I then asked Ruth to share what advice and wisdom that she would give to someone who believes that they're called to the mission field in a similar way that she's been called. Uh, Well, of course, I would advise to be very grounded in the word. (laughs) This is the best advice. I'm very, uh, I have a close relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's the, for me, is the, wherever you go in the world, even in your own native country, that's the first items, if you can call them, I mean, the first assets that you need to uh, have, they are non-negotiable. All the rest, of course, you have to have faith, be ready to sacrifice, uh, 
uh, be ready to change at any, you know, um, minute, I mean, as you say, uh, in a word notice, I mean, very, very suddenly, because on the mission field, anything can happen very suddenly from a, you know, landslide. I had a landslide in Venezuela, uh, terrible, that killed a lot of people. And, uh, you know, um, earthquakes, especially in certain countries where this kind of phenomenon are common. Uh, you have to be very minimal, for example, in your lifestyle. You know, I had very, for example, very few possessions, you know, because, of course, you're not concentrated on having uh, of course, if you have a family, it's a little bit different. Of course, if you have children, and the story is different. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's to be very uh, how do you say? I'm missing the word. Very um, adjustable. You know, very and to know also the culture of the country where you're going. <laughs> Because this is one mistake I made, and I would never do it again. I then asked Ruth how those listening to the podcast can pray for her. Well, for sure, uh, I would really appreciate prayers that uh, I will be able to uh, push through uh, the Lord's plan for this time and this island and the people here and the people from abroad and from other parts of Italy that are coming to live here because they feel this call to a place uh, of refuge and healing. That's what exactly the words that these people say, and they're not even believers. I come here because I feel well here. My sickness are receding and I feel better and I feel at peace. So uh, this is already happening, but I, I would like this to become uh, more expanded. I'm starting also uh, working with other Christians and that are asking for training in other parts of the island. I live in the northern uh, west part. But we are going also in the eastern part, uh, southern part. So we are started moving. And also a prayer that I have, uh, this has been my uh, vision. The vision the Lord gave me is to uh, take a big piece of land where many people can come and have their own, you know, their own house or trailer, whatever. <laughs> where we can grow our own food and be totally independent from, from the rest of the, you know, system. And um, so this takes a, a huge miracle, financial miracle, because I have nothing. So, <laughs> but I believe, you know, I totally believe that the Lord is in, this is his plan. So I don't worry. He has his timing, his resources, but whatever it is, uh, I would like it to be something with no strings attached. I mean, it's a vision for the Lord's kingdom. Uh, as much as I don't want anything for me, of course, this could be, I don't know, then we have people that are good in uh, administration, this kind of stuff. So they would take care of all the legal and, uh, of course, financial uh, aspects that needs to be, of course, uh, done well. But... Um, it must be a place of refuge 
totally belonging to the Lord and, you know, where uh, Christian Jews, persecuted people can really come and be sheltered and be and find a place. So thanks you for your prayers in this. I then ask Ruth to close the interview by praying for those listening to the podcast, especially those who are called to the mission field in a similar way that she has been. So Heavenly Father, I first of all want to bless uh, Clifton uh, because what he's doing will go a lot farther than he expects because this is part of your uh, divine plan and project uh, to really empower and encourage, deeply encourage and uh, equip your worldwide family. So I really want to bless all the listeners, all those who will listen to this podcast, that they can receive uh, encouragement uh, and also uh, an impartation that of the supernatural, because we, I really want to see your heavenly kingdom invade and, and fill every part of the earth where your sons and daughters live and learn to take dominion. Father, I ask you to really um, help us to fulfill your mandate to uh, conquer uh, the land, take the land, take it back to you uh, before you come, because this is part of preparing the way for your return and you're coming soon. So uh, help us to really be uh, watchful, uh, to be listening, to be like Nehemiah, to uh, be on the wall and keep building while we keep our uh, our the sword of the spirit, the, our spiritual weapons in the other end, and we are ready to fight uh, and bring down giants and and really. Um, uh, yes, we want to see the, the places where we are transformed. We want to see people, the harvest coming in, and we have to be like uh, fearless soldiers, be warriors, because we, uh, you are at the head of this army. You are at the head of uh, everything we are doing. So what can we fear? You know, the enemy can do nothing to us. And I really pray that all my brothers and sisters can enter, fully enter their destiny, their identity of sons and daughters that are reigning with him, uh, sit, sitting in the heavenly places uh, with Jesus. So we, I really pray, Lord, that we, uh, we all can enjoy the privilege to be loving you, knowing you day by day, serving you, and learning how to become uh, the people that you have destined us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to pray for CMM missionaries like Ruth or pray for the College of Theology students, you can send an email to office at cmm.world. Also, if you want to know more about CMM and what we do to help spread the name of Jesus Christ around the world, you can visit us at cmm.world. And if you want to know more about the College of Theology, you can visit cmmtheology.org for more information. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of the CM Missions Cast. It's our prayer here at CMM that you have been blessed by listening to the podcast. And if so, consider sharing it with someone who would also be blessed. 
Also, be on the lookout for more episodes coming soon. I've been your host, Clifton Gedboys. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.